Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Sam. I'm a member of the ministry team here, and it's great to welcome you. Um, let me add my welcome to Emma's. Um, particularly looking around, I can see some faces of people who have come back from holiday, so you're very welcome, and I hope you had a good time away. Um, and as well, if you're a guest with us this morning, um, let me say you're very welcome uh, with us today. We're continuing this morning our series in Paul's Prayers. Uh, Paul, the great spokesman of the early church, great spokesman of Jesus. And we're looking at his prayers to see how we might expand our own vision for prayer, to see what we might pray uh, a little bit like Paul. Well, today's passage raises the topic of the relationship of prayer to the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for us and rose again to be God's king. And as we begin, I want to start by uh, getting us to think a little bit about a question. How does prayer relate to your life as a Christian? How does prayer relate to your life as a Christian? Uh, Many of us, when we start thinking about that, will immediately think of something that's oppressive, something that makes us feel guilty. Or we're talking about prayer, and you feel guilty because you haven't been praying enough. It's a burden uh, that we feel on us. Maybe others, though, have sort of reacted against that and say, no, hang on, prayer is something that we're meant to enjoy. It's sort of optional. We do it because we want to enjoy our relationship with God. But then maybe you're a bit like me and you find that you actually don't enjoy prayer as much as you kind of think you should. And then you don't really pray that much because it's kind of optional. And actually you find yourself slipping into a pattern of prayer where you're just praying for the things that you really need when you really need God. So prayer that's oppressive, prayer that's optional. Maybe, like me, you find yourself switching uh, quite frequently between those kind of views. Well, this whole letter of 1 Thessalonians uh, is a letter about how the gospel will change everything in our lives. Uh, Paul here is writing to new Christians. They've just heard the gospel message a few months ago. Uh, But Paul has had to leave the city before he's been able to really teach them about how the gospel is going to change their lives. And so he's having to write this letter to them uh, to say how the gospel that they've just begun to believe is going to affect their life. And today, the passage that we've just read, Paul's talking about prayer, and he's showing them how their prayer will be shaped by the gospel. Uh, We're going to be focusing on verses 9 to 13 in chapter 3. Uh, We're on page 1187, uh, if you've closed your Bibles. So we're going to see how gospel shapes prayer. And what we're going to see is that the gospel uniquely changes our prayer life. It gives us a relationship with God that isn't oppressive or optional, but in some way is organic. It's natural. The gospel will give us a natural, organic prayer life. We get a taste of that in verse 9. Have a look with me at verse 9 of chapter 3. Paul says, How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? As I was preparing for this, I was struck by the intimacy that Paul is using here. He says he's literally in God's presence or before God, just like I'm before you now and you're before me. Paul says that when he prays, he's in God's presence. And he says he has joy in God's presence. It's a very emotional, very natural way of talking about his relationship with God, isn't it? And if you're anything like me, this often isn't your experience of prayer. But what Paul's doing here is he's modelling this way that the gospel will change the way that we pray. Um, There's three ways, I think, that the gospel does this that we're going to see in this passage. We've just seen the first one. The gospel gives us a new relationship. And we're also going to see that the gospel gives us a new direction and a new heart 
uh, as we pray. So we're going to work our way through this prayer this morning to see those. So firstly then, the gospel gives us this new relationship, a uniquely intimate relationship with God. Well, you may say to me, hang on a second, Sam. Why is the gospel so unique in this area? Because pretty much everyone in the world prays at some point in their life. All religions include some kind of prayer. So what's so different about Christian prayer, gospel prayer? Well, to see that, uh, we need to zoom out a little bit uh, across to chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Uh, And what Paul's doing here is he's reminding the Thessalonians what's happened to them when they first heard the gospel. So pick it up with me in the middle of verse 9. He tells them how they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So this city of Thessalonica, a place in northern Greece, when Paul had first visited it, it was full of people worshipping idols, worshipping false gods. And when Paul came and preached the gospel, the gospel about God and his son who came from heaven, Jesus, well, some people heard that gospel, and so they turned to the real God instead of worshipping idols like trade and wine and sex. But there's more even than that. The gospel doesn't just change which God you relate to. It also changes how you relate to God. Um, And to see this, have a think with me for a moment. Think about prayer. I reckon pretty much any time anyone prays apart from the gospel, they're they're thinking that they need to do something to get God or whatever God they're listening to, uh, to listen to them. Um, for example, I was um, chatting to a friend on Friday, and he was telling me about a film, which is basically about a guy who's trying to kill himself. He spends the whole film trying to kill himself, and eventually he swims out to sea and thinks, well, I'll just swim out here and finally I'll die. But he realises as he does so that he doesn't actually want to die. And so he's like, right, I start swimming back to shore. But it's a long way off. He's two miles out at sea now. And so he turns to God and he says, God, please save me. I'll give you everything I've got if you'll save me. Well, he keeps swimming to shore, and he gets a mile in, and he now starts saying, God, please save me. I'll give you half of everything I've got. Uh, And eventually he gets nearer and nearer the shore, and he says, oh, God, I'll give you a few coins. I'll put a few coins in the box. Uh, And he kind of gets out. Um, Well, maybe that's you. Maybe you've kind of made that kind of vow, and um, you've kind of changed it as you've gone along. But you can see the point, I think. We feel that we need... Uh, to give God something, to listen to us. We need to give God some kind of sacrifice. And I think if you look at prayer traditions across the world, you'll see that. People repeating things or doing certain ceremonies in order to get God to listen to them. And all of that shows that we can't really enjoy God's presence. We, we feel like we may be doing the wrong thing or we're feeling like we need to do something to make up for the wrong that we've done. And here's where the gospel is different. The gospel tells us of a king who came from heaven to come and pay for our sacrifice, to come and pay for the sin uh, that we need to be paid for in order for us to have a relationship with God. Have a look at verse 10 there. He says that you turn to wait for his son from heaven, whom God raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. The gospel tells us how God's own son came from heaven to rescue us from God's wrath, God's anger at everything that we've done wrong, every way that we failed him and failed the people around us. 
And that massively, fundamentally, eternally changes our relationship with God. We can enjoy that relationship now. We don't have to worry about providing a sacrifice anymore to approach God. We don't have to worry if we're doing something wrong that might mean that our prayer doesn't get heard. Because Jesus has taken away God's wrath at all of our failure. Well, I know that some of us here are looking, are seeking for that genuine relationship with God. The kind of relationship that isn't just about us feeling better about ourselves, but is something that we can really hang on to. And I've got good news for you this morning. You don't have to go on any kind of meditation course to kind of work your way up to some kind of special relationship. And you don't have to improve your performance morally to get that relationship with God. All you have to do is take hold of that relationship that God offers you in Jesus. The sacrifice has been paid for, and you can freely enjoy that relationship with God through Christ. Well, many of us here, I know, will have done that, will have begun to enjoy that relationship. But I wonder if we often live a bit like we need a sacrifice before we pray. I know this is definitely true for me. Often if I've done something wrong, if I feel like I've let God down or let someone else down, I feel like I can't really pray to God. Do you ever feel like that? But at that point, I'm forgetting the gospel. I'm forgetting that actually the sacrifice has been paid for. I don't need to add anything before I come to God. I can just come to him freely. And when we're we're avoiding God like that, we're a bit like Adam and Eve. If you know the story, in the garden, after they've sinned, they go and run and they hide from God. But because of what Christ has done, we just don't need to do that anymore. Just think, God has totally removed any of God's anger towards us. He's brought us into a relationship with his Father, a relationship where we don't have to suck up or scrub ourselves up. We don't have to worry about that relationship being removed. It's a relationship we can enjoy So here's our first thing then. When we set our minds on the gospel, we can be like Paul. We can have a relationship with God uh, that has joy and intimacy. We can be in his presence without shame and without fear. Well, you may say, okay, Sam, that, that, that sounds good, but what do I actually do with this relationship? What's it all about? Where's it going? Well, this is our second point. The gospel also gives us a new direction, a new direction. Have a look at verse 10 with me. Paul carries on, he says, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. So it's interesting, Paul doesn't just stop by thanking God for the Thessalonians' faith. That's not the end of the story for him. He also carries on and is praying that God would supply what is lacking in their faith. What he's saying is he wants the Thessalonians to grow in that relationship that they've begun with God. And again, Paul's emotion is really striking, isn't it? Last verse we saw his joy. Well, this time it's his earnestness. He says he prays night and day that we may see you again. Night and day. Well, I don't know about you, but my prayer life could probably do with a bit more of the night and day kind of element. Well, where does it come from? Well, Paul doesn't impose rules on us. He doesn't say pray night and day. Instead, we need to see why he's praying. Um, And we we can do that if we skip down to verse 13. Uh, He says, May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father 
when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Paul's motivation for praying earnestly comes from the gospel. Sometimes we reduce the gospel down to just Jesus dying for our sins. But actually, it's about all that Jesus is and all that he does. And so it includes Jesus returning and coming to take us to be with him and coming to put the world right. The gospel then tells us that all of history is heading towards a day when we will meet Jesus face to face. And when we believe the gospel, what happens is we come to be people who are looking forwards to that day. We're waiting for that day instead of running away from it and hoping it doesn't happen. So the gospel then gives us this new direction. And that's why Paul's praying so earnestly. What he wants is for the Thessalonians to be prepared, to be ready for that day. Now that might sound a little bit worksy to you. It might sound a little bit like, well, hang on, Jesus' sacrifice surely has made us ready for that day. Surely we're blameless through him. Well, at one level, that's right. But I think Paul's talking at a more relational kind of level here. I think the best way of capturing this is if you think about a bride and a bridegroom getting ready for their wedding day. Uh, This is the kind of picture Paul's got. Uh, When Emma and I got married, we hired a photographer, and she did that thing where the photographer came round to the area where I was getting ready with my groomsmen and took photos of me and my groomsmen getting ready. And then she went over to Emma's family home and took photographs. Oh, Emma's my wife, by the way. If you hadn't realised, Emma, who's leading the service, is my wife. It's a kind of a family affair today. Sorry about that. Um, anyway, we went over, they, she went over to Emma's um, house and took photos of Emma and her bridesmaids getting ready. And it was great. When we got the photos back, I was able to see all that went on with all of that getting ready. I hadn't realised how much there was. Uh, the fastening of the dress, putting in the earrings, doing the hair, the makeup. It's a load of getting ready uh, for that day when Emma came down the aisle. Well, the gospel does a similar thing. It tells us that our king is coming back. Uh, He's going to come back and he's going to kick off the best wedding reception of all time. And and the gospel tells us that we're the bridegroom. We're the bridegroom. We're going to be right at the centre of that party with our bride. Uh, We're the bride, sorry. And we're going to be at the centre of the party with our bridegroom. And so we're heading to a party. And so we're going to be wanting to wear the right clothes for that wedding. We're going to be wanting to wear clothes that are going to look good on that day. And so the gospel gives us this new direction. And the more we appreciate this, the more natural it's going to be for us to want to pray to grow our relationship with God. It's interesting. Paul doesn't, uh, it's very clear that Paul doesn't give any kind of theology of becoming a Christian and then that means you're going to go to heaven when you die and the rest of your life, well, it's kind of just about waiting for God to die, a little bit like waiting for a bus. I was up at the Ulster Hospital yesterday. Um, The bus services, I think there was some trouble in town, so the bus services were being cancelled and I was with Lavinia and we were waiting for a bus for quite a long time. And sometimes that's how the gospel can sound, isn't it? You believe in God, okay, and then you just wait a long time, and then you get to go to heaven. But Paul doesn't think of it like that. He says that when we come and start waiting for the sun from heaven, that's actually a massive change of direction in our lives. And it means that we've got something new for us to grow into now, a new relationship that we can grow into. And so that should be our priority then in our prayers. We can pray that we'll grow into this relationship. 
I think many of us are maybe a bit frustrated sometimes that we spend so much time praying for very practical things. Uh, People who are sick, who need help, and that kind of stuff. And those are important, aren't they? But sometimes we think, isn't there something a bit more that we could be praying for? Well, let Paul's example guide you this morning. Uh, Let his focus on the return of Christ shape what it is that we pray for. And how do we do that? Well, let's remember that Jesus is coming. He's coming back. By the way, before we move on to our third point, um, I just wanted to pick out uh, something separate that kind of doesn't really fit into the flow uh, that I'm going through this morning. And that is that for Paul, prayer is not something separate to service. Paul doesn't just pray and think, okay, well, I've left it to God. It's in God's hands. That's kind of job done. Have a look at verse, uh, verse 9. He wants to be the answer to his own prayer. Verse 10, sorry. He says, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. And then he goes on, verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. He wants to be the answer to his own prayer. He wants these Thessalonians to grow in their relationship with God. And so he's praying that God would send him to them. So for Paul, prayer is not just leaving it to God. Part of what he does is he sticks his hand up in prayer and says, God, will you allow me to be a little bit of the answer to this prayer? And there's maybe a bit of a lesson for us there. If we're going to be a a church that prays for ourselves and for each other to grow, we're going to need to be ready to help each other to grow. We're going to need to be ready to be the answer to our own prayer. But what does it look like to grow? What does all this growing in a relationship with God look like? Well, that's our final point, um, and it's, it's this. The gospel gives us a new heart, a new heart, a new desire. Have a look with me at verses 12 and 13. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. This is a prayer for a kind of a love to be coming into the Thessalonians' hearts. A kind of love that will lead to them being blameless and holy in God's presence. Well, why would this prayer, prayer for this kind of love, flow naturally from the gospel? Well, remember that the gospel brings us into a relationship with God. And whenever you enter a relationship with someone... You, you start becoming like them, don't you? You take on something uh, about them. And when we come into a relationship with God then, through the gospel, we'll start to become more like God. And the thing that Paul is praying for here, this love, is a God-like love. Um, let me show you that. Did you see in, in, in verse uh, 12 that this is a love that increases and overflows for each other and for everyone else? It's a love with ripple effects. It's a love that just keeps overflowing. And that is like God's love. The Bible tells us that even before the world began, God was love. God the Father loved God the Son uh, in the Spirit. From all eternity, God has been love. And when God created the world, it wasn't because God wanted uh, somebody to love him. He already had that. God created the world because he wanted to share his love. 
He wanted to bring people like us into the love that he has. And so the love that God has is an overflowing love. It's a love with ripple effects that are still being felt all across the world. And we see that most clearly in the cross, where God's overflowing love means that Jesus comes from heaven to come and die for us, sinful, rebellious people who have rejected him. God is a God of overflowing love. And so that's what we're praying for in this prayer. That's what Paul wants the Thessalonians to have, a heart that is like God's heart, a heart that has an overflowing love for each other and for everyone else. Could you imagine a congregation like this? I'm not saying we're not, but could you imagine? I'm sure we can grow in it. This, uh, this part of the, of the talk, whenever I've been preparing, has been the part that's really got my heart racing. Can you imagine how big this is for us to have the heart of God in each other? So that's a great thing to pray for, isn't it? I'd love for myself to be clothed with this kind of love. So if you want to pray something for me, pray this for me, that I'd have an overflowing love like God's. Well, it may be that you find this a little bit scary. Well, remember that last week, um, Christoph shared this principle with us, uh, that we become like what we worship. Naturally, whenever you're, you're centering your life on someone, when you're in a relationship with someone, you're going to become like them. And that is exactly what happens when we come into a relationship with God. Uh, just flick over the page, chapter 4, um, verse 9. You can see this happening in the Thessalonians. Paul says, now, about brotherly love, this kind of overflowing love, same word, um, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. We don't need to write to you about love, because you've been taught by God, you've come into a relationship with God, and so you've naturally begun to have this kind of overflowing love for each other. And so this prayer is actually just a prayer that we become more and more who we are that we grow more and more into this natural relationship with God that we have through Christ. And so if you believe the gospel this morning, uh, there will be a part of you that wants this for yourself and wants this for other people. It's natural for us. Uh, C.S. Lewis told a story once about a boy who, wanted, who, who, who was offered the chance to go to a really fantastic beach Uh, But he didn't want to go because he'd been spending all his time in his back garden um, playing in the mud and building little mud sandcastles and playing with his bucket and spade in the mud. And so when he was offered the chance to go to the beach, he said, no, I want to stay here. And C.S. Lewis says that's quite a helpful insight for all of us. It's often not that we have the wrong desires. It's that our desires are too small. We get stuck on too small a, a thing when we could have something much bigger. And I think that applies to our prayer lives. We want to pray. We want some of these things. But we so often get stuck on a small view of them. We become satisfied with a very small kind of prayer life. But what we've been seeing this morning is that the gospel invites us into something much bigger. It's a gift of a new relationship with God. A new direction to our lives. And a new heart. An overflowing love. Uh, like God's. So let's pray this for ourselves. Let's pray this kind of big prayer for ourselves. This kind of prayer.
that the gospel leads us to pray. Or shall we do that now uh, as we close? I think it would be a good way to end by just praying this prayer um, all together. Uh, so before you kind of uh, bow your heads and think, job done, Sam's going to take over. Um, we're going we're to pray together verses 12 and 13. Uh, we'll, we'll say them out loud. So if you've got your pew Bibles, just make sure you've got that open. Uh, chapter 3, verse 12. And we'll say together, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Amen.